Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning I pray that your Holy Spirit continues to be our teacher, to be the one who inspires. Will you speak through me? Uh, Speak to me. May I learn as well today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One neat element in the uh, communion items here, the the grape juice, which is supposed to be wine, um, is a powerful image, again, of being filled with the Holy Spirit. The intoxication of wine, what does the wine do to you? It makes you feel good. <laughs> you know, not too much, but it can make you feel good and relaxed. And it's, it's powerful. You can feel it. In the same way, when we read in the scriptures, don't get drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. The word filled there is the word controlled by. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Just like um, don't get drunk with wine because the wine will control you. Be, filled, be controlled by the Holy Spirit instead. Let it control you. And that's what this whole grace walk is all about. This walk of grace is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. We've been looking at the story of Nehemiah today. Hopefully we can wrap this up. Um, we talked about uh, Nehemiah talking to the, uh, um, his king and getting uh, permission to leave and help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It was a pretty big deal. Um, we're at the place today where we are going to visit... Um, time to party. That's really what's going on. Uh, Today we're going to talk about grace produces a party because this whole story of Nehemiah is a story of grace. What does grace look like when it hits, when you recognize it, and how does it affect you? Uh, The very first part of the story was a story of brokenness. Nehemiah's heart was broken with uh, a passion. God gave him a story through a messenger of what was happening in Jerusalem, and his heart connected with the problem in Jerusalem. So he went and became a leader there and helped rebuild the walls, I think it said 52 days, super fast. And everybody was involved. And then two weeks ago, we talked about the gateways of grace and all the the different gates around the city, which each one uh, can mean to our everyday lives as a a kind of a picture of uh, what it means to go through a journey of ups and downs in life. And today, we're going to talk about a party. In Nehemiah chapter 8, which is we're going to zoom in on, I'm going to read the first 12 verses right now. And uh, this is where we're going to camp for the next few minutes. So on October, October 8th, Ezra the priest brought the scroll of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate from the early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. Okay. Who would get up really early here and stand here while I were to read the Bible? Who would really do that? Fat chance. After about 40 minutes, you go, okay, where's my Timmy's? I got to go for a break. They stood super early to hear the word of God, and they listened. This is big. All the people paid close attention to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform that had been made from, for the occasion. To his right stood Mitatelena, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hikle, and Mazur. Um, he left his, to his left stood Pediah, Mishael, Mekah, Hashum, Hashabanabanaha, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Pretty good, eh? All right. 
Clearly, I'm not Jewish. Ezra stood on the platform in full view of all the people. When they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. As soon as he opened it, everybody got up. It was incredible. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen, Amen. And as they lifted their hands towards heaven, they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Pause there. Imagine this huge crowd of people. He opens the book. Everybody stands. Praise the Lord. Amen, amen. The hands are waving. Like huge crowds of people, okay, in the city. And then they bowed. What other kind of religion does that? Yes. We see them kneeling down, aiming towards the east. Okay, like, and we think in this Canadian culture, in this Western culture, there's been some negative perspectives on people bowing and praying, and we, uh, there's been a negative um, onslaught against the Muslims for doing that. And yet, hello, this got started a long time before Muslims. All right? They are worshiping their God in the same way this was an honorary way to worship the living God. And uh, if you go back far enough, you can learn a lot about the Islam faith. But uh, their hearts are towards who is God and, and what does he teach and how, do we, how are we supposed to live. Talk to some devout Muslims sometime. You, you may have your jaw hit the floor a little bit. And all your prejudgments may begin to fade. And you'll have authentic love for them. That's the love of Christ coming out. All right. Faces to the ground. Now the Levites... Jeshua, Bani, Shirda, Janim, Akub, Shatanai, Hona. Ma- Good thing I'm not doing a lineage. Um, and so what? And so on, and so on. Instructed the people who were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. Then Nehemiah, the governor, he's governor now. Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, Don't weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. All the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Something big is going on here. It's not just a blanket reading, blah, 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 blah. It it wasn't like that. They were teaching them what each thing meant, and they said it so they would understand it. How many times do we sometimes just fling a Bible verse at somebody? Well, the Bible says that. Boom. We just use it as a club. Boom. And this becomes a, a tool to hurt, not ointment to bring healing. Be careful with tossing out just verses because you're in a Bible fight or a Bible war with somebody. That's not the purpose of the Bible. Don't do that. If you're in that kind of de- debate, make sure you've both agreed on the terms of the debate, Okay. Otherwise, it's about being more right than the other one, right? Are, are we supposed to be trying to be more right than others? A lot of lack of love there. And the wrong tree. The wrong tree in the garden. So they were trying to understand what was going on. And Nehemiah continued, Go and celebrate with a feast of choice foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before the Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
The joy of the Lord is your strength. Huh. Where have we heard that before? And the Levites, too, quieted the people, telling them, Hush! Don't weep, for this is a sacred day. So the people went away to eat and drink at a festive meal, to share gifts of food, and to celebrate with great joy because they had heard God's word and understood. You see, just spouting off texts, just reading them. I remember in Bible college, we had to read the Bible all the way through for the first year. Well, I read the words. There, you know. Did I retain anything? No, because I did the duty of having to read. I didn't really get anything out of it because I was told I had to. So just to get the check mark at the end of the class and to say that I read it, I just read the words. Didn't, didn't even bother trying to take it in because I, I kind of tried to find the easiest route through. Yeah, those are my schooling days. Those are bad. But anyway, that's what I did. But here they understood it. Do we understand the verses and, and scripture text that we study and read? Do we take time to understand? Do we come across a passage and, oh, that's too deep. I'm not going to, give me something easier. What if the God is giving you a deep passage that you need to explore? Are we even equipped today on how to explore and dig deeper into, into the Bible? Do we understand how to read it? We've done a couple messages here at Hope to kind of help individuals understand the Bible, what it is, how it's broken up, all the many books. It's a library. You do know that, right? The Bible is a mini library of 66 books, different types of writing. So let's dig into this story. Time to party. Just before this party happened, we need to remember that Nehemiah had seven attempts on his life. From the beginning of Nehemiah right to here. Seven times they tried to stop him from building the wall, tried to come around alongside, beat him up, whatever, probably trying to kill him, but seven different times. That's big. How would you like to go around having your life threatened like that, where they're about to take you out? My friend Robinson in Pakistan is a man who's bold and risks his life regularly, sharing and speaking the gospel boldly in a place where Christians are hunted. Yep, they don't, even, they don't even need to have a good reason. They can just say, oh, they blasphemed uh, Muhammad, and they can kill you just because you said they did. It, it's, it's nuts. Danger. We have no danger here. Really? Oh, but some people will be offended. Oh, get over the offense. I'm so tired of political offense. We're to love each other and put others' needs before ours. This is the gospel. The walls of Jerusalem were broken. And the story of Nehemiah is about the rebuilding of those walls. But for you and I, it's hope to rebuild our lives when all the walls have been crumbled down. In fact, when Nehemiah was going around the walls, do you remember the part where it said they were burnt bricks and they were mocked for using burnt bricks to rebuild? Well, I bet you they didn't clean off all the soot. I think you and I have a lot of soot. Evidence of brokenness. Evidence we've been hurt. Knowing Jesus doesn't remove the marks. I love in the movie The Shack, if you guys got to see it, who who has had a chance to see The Shack? If you have not, it's a must-see. Mac gets all mad at at God. Where were you? 
You know, he even said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You left your own son. How could you do that? And Papa shows the marks on her wrist. I was there. I did not abandon. The marks, the scars. Each of us have a story. We may come in with a, a pleasant smile today. Each person, every single one of you, Every one of you has a story. Every one of you has pain in the past. Some far more prominent, others maybe not. But we have all experienced pain. And when that wall is being built, you can see the bricks that were reused, that were burned and charred and part of a really tough situation. And yet, God turns it into a beautiful tapestry. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. All the bumps and bruises we have come at us in life. They're not because God is unfaithful. It's evidence he'll be faithful in those times. When you see somebody else's charred rocks on their heart, and sometimes it's on the exterior, have mercy. Have understanding. Be kind. Be gentle. My desire is to see everyone experience the grace of God. I find it interesting that as we read this one section, which gate, of all the gates, do you remember which gate was it that Nehemiah and Ezra were at, where Ezra read? Anybody remember? The water gate. Ah, Who is represented by water? Thank you, Jesus. Isn't it appropriate? At the water gate is where they declared the law. Declared the hope. And as they were hearing, and as they began to understand, deep weeping, oh my God, my God, my God, how could we have done this? Oh my goodness. And that, there, was, there was a humility that hit them. When the truth of God is being taught, when God teaches you something deep and profound, it humbles you. In January, I had a private and personal experience in Mexico. God kind of showed me some stuff about me, and it sucked. Uh, It was was humbling, to put it mildly. And nobody actually spoke into me, so to speak. It was the way the week was going and the different conversations with individuals, and I realized, oh my goodness... I have been free from so many things and may not have fully believed I was free of a few things, namely, shame. That's a bad one because that sneaks its ugly head in. And as God was showing to me and doing work inside me, it's something changed in my perspective of others. And it had to do with control. Control, freak, flesh. Don't look at me that way. You all have it too. (laughs) Anybody married, you know it. (laughs) Try to manipulate, move, navigate. Right, right, right. That's how it works. And God showed me just to love people without trying to control them, without having an ulterior motive, without thinking, ooh, that person would be good for my strategic course, 
in where I have to go next or in my business. Oh, I could use that person and I'll keep good tabs on that person because I can use them there. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? No or yes? Okay, good. Because that revelation stinks because it hurts because I don't want to be like that because I know the real me. I am good. That's my identity with Christ. I am right. And my behavior needs to reflect that. And there are times where I am insecure with certain individuals trying to get my needs met from them to make me feel better. Including teachers, even like my friend Steve McVeigh, wanting his approval. I don't need his approval, but I was craving it for it. I'm being really honest here, okay? I'm just picking on somebody that you know. And I meant to talk to him about, you know, hey, I feel this and that. I never talked to him about it at all. That's where God did the work. He said, Mike, you got to stop all this trying. Even when you preach on not trying and resting, you should listen to yourself once in a while. I can hear my wife saying that to me too. But it broke me up inside, and I'm still figuring it out. I'm still trying to uh, identify what happened in Mexico. And one of the things, one of the fruits has been being more honest with individuals and, and not trying to have an ulterior motive. Do we ever have ulterior motives with individuals ever? Of course we do. But can we not just be a friend to somebody? There's one person who drove me nuts for a long time and uh, um, I won't say who. <laughs> and that person's name came to mind in Mexico and I ended up having coffee with that individual and I didn't have any expectations on this individual. And I actually had a really good visit. Huh. This person's a good person. What was I thinking before? What, what lens did I have? Oh, here, here's, here's the other part. Oh, man, this is good. Rabbit trail, but so what? Look, a squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> Picture in your mind an individual you don't like very much or just can't stand or you have your running list of what drives you nuts from them, okay? Here's the picture, okay? Pretend it's up here, it's a picture. Now, we have sub-menus to think of your computer. This menu down here is all the list of stuff that drives you nuts. Oh, when they do that, oh, I hate that. Or that little quirk, oh, I can't stand that. Oh, man, they're always, they're always wanting their own way and really I want my own way too, so, but I recognize in them, so that's why I hate it in them. So I have this list of negatives, and there's a couple things I like. When I was in Mexico, whew, that list got deleted. When I look at individuals now, if there is a small list, Father, remove it. And I'm now authentically able to love people. And I, I say less now, because I'm not having to manipulate. It's exhausting trying to control people and relationships. You're not that good at it. Neither am I. We all have evidence of it. But if we could take them, instead of trying to control individuals and our beliefs and everything else, and just go, Father, teach me how to love them. Oh, wait, I need to see that I am loved and believe it first. Because if I don't even love me, 
I can't do anything with that. I need to let the love of Christ permeate my heart. Yes, I might get it here, but it has to become my oneness with Christ. Rebuilding. Rebuilding begins when we go through brokenness. It was a different brokenness. Sometimes brokenness can be a a crash, like a, a major disaster that happens in your life. God can use tough circumstances to bring you to a place of brokenness. Brokenness is not the same thing as bad things happening. It's not the same thing at all. But when brokenness comes, which is the yielding of Christ, surrendering all of the future stuff, the direction that you think you can control and really can't, and you surrender it and say, Father, I'm going to live in absolute dependence on you. That is the Christ life. That is the resting. I think it's time to view this as not some flat book to be evenly read as everything is equal all the way through equal authority as in you got to follow, because otherwise you have to go back to those Old Testament laws and follow them all. You can't just pick one or two. You got to do them all if you're going to go all in, okay? That's why you have to understand covenants. You have to. New covenant, old covenant. Maybe we need to come to this as a letter from our divine lover. But God loves you. Do you know that? He, he really loves you. He's crazy about you. Yes, you. Yeah, but he loves everybody, you know, like the, the whole blanket clause thing, you know. <laughs> That's what I used to think. I thought it was his job to love us. You know, he's God. But then to find out he likes you, too. He likes you. If he likes you, he likes this person, even with the list, there or not. He likes that person and loves them, values them just like he loves and values you. And when God started to speak to my shame, the false shame, okay, I began to see that I had been making decisions from a place of insecurities, which is really dangerous. Because then now you have to keep up the work of getting your needs met from everybody else so you don't feel shameful. When I have the divine lover in me. I need to listen to his voice. But I've been listening to louder radio stations of other voices coming. I've got to shut those off. Listen to the frequency in me already. The light that is in me. We are called the light of the world. <laughs> this word This Bible is a collection of books, love letter from your divine lover. Through the Bible, your heavenly Father will affirm his love for you. Through here, you're going to have it affirmed it's true. Confirmed, affirmed. Some books in this library are going to be straight poetic. Some apocalyptic. Those are fun. Then you have history books. Then you have epistles, which are books to you and I. Now, interesting, when when Ezra was reading the law, they were humbled by what God's standards were back then. 
We're under a new covenant now, and the New Testament's a little bit differently. Actually, it's a lot different. Because after the cross, we have a new covenant, right? Yes? So, what's with the rules after that? What's with Paul's writing? You shouldn't do this, shouldn't do that. What the heck? I thought we weren't under law anymore, right? We aren't. And those aren't laws. They're commands. Commands are very different than law. Law has a punishment associated with it instantly. You break it, it's broken, you've got to pay your duty. But with a command, Paul is writing it to you and I for our benefit. He's describing clothes for you to wear that look good on you. Garments of grace. And when you don't wear the clothes given to you and you pick your own outfit out, then, and it may not look good on you, some of your self-inflicted choices. The commands are for your benefit and there are consequences in life. (laughs) And you will reap the consequences of bad choices. It happens. But you're not abandoned. You're not abandoned in those tough decisions. Christ is with you, in you, through you, for you, around you. It's not absent. It's an absolute impossibility. We can go here for encouragement and hope and healing and let the Holy Spirit be the teacher. We come to the Bible because we hunger to experience the Lord. You come here to discover Jesus in here. Don't come into this thing looking for the rules because then you will live by rules. And then guess what happens? Your attention is on rules. You always have one eye on the rules and you can't do relationships. Just like when I was in my shameful thinking, trying to get my needs met and trying to navigate relationships with people, I'm working on my shame. It's on one, one eye is on the shame because I don't like myself very much. That means I can't do relationships very well. It's exactly the same thing with the New Testament. It's not a rule book. It's a love letter. It's a puzzle. Steve McVeigh had a quote I love. I hope I can remember it now. God is not a puzzle to be solved, but a mystery to be explored. God is not a puzzle to be solved, but a mystery to be explored. And none of us have explored all the depths of who God is and how deep his love is. Each of us have a revelation. And if we begin to share our revelations, we can actually inspire each other and our revelations continue to grow. That's what the body of Christ is for. Not from the guy standing up front preaching. That's not where you're supposed to get it from. That's nice and it's helpful, but it happens through daily connections. 1 John 4, 19 says, We love him because he first loved us. Remember, God is the initiator. We're the responders. Yeah, but we have a responsibility to do what this says. Oh, really? I like Paul Anderson Walsh's words. You are response-able. You're response-able now to respond by the Holy Spirit what the Holy Spirit is teaching you in this. He is your teacher. She is your teacher. 
That's who the teacher is, the Holy Spirit. As they read the law, their responses, first of all, they gathered. Everybody came together. They stood out of respect. They raised their hands. They said amen. They bowed and knelt. They worshiped, responding to God's word from the heart. And they wept. Oh, the brokenness. Brokenness is beautiful, especially when it draws you to Christ. Nehemiah tells them this was the day to be joyful because God's grace is in this. Look at the work of grace that happened in the rebuilding of the city. Ezra was the one who rebuilt the temple. Nehemiah rebuilt the walls. Full circle. So then how do we keep walking the walk? I don't know if, I'll I'll get through this, no problem. (laughs) We'll be here till about 12.30. Just kidding. Nehemiah knew they needed reminding. That's why he read the law. And we need reminding. And something in the story, I'm not going to have time to read the text, but in Nehemiah 13, he finds out that people have been working on the Sabbath, which was forbidden under Jewish law. Okay, We're under a new law. Okay, I'm going to get to that in a minute. But there's something to learn from this. It's really cool. What does it mean to then rest on the Sabbath? He instituted the bad behaviors, or sorry, he called out the bad behaviors of the Jews who were working on Sundays and selling, and they had people from other cities and other countries come and sell. In fact, I think one portion he said he beat the daylights out of them, ripped their hair out and all that. Like, seriously? All to restore God's plan for them at the time. The Western church, unfortunately, has made the Sabbath look like Old Covenant. Oh, you can't do anything. You can't work on Sundays, but we'll let our pastor work every Sunday. (laughs) You just got that, didn't you? (laughs) And then we're going to go out to eat and make somebody else work and be cheap, not tipping them. If you're going to go eat out on a Sunday, you better tip well. (laughs) I'm serious. Don't be cheap. And Nehemiah declares this. And the lesson for us today is your Sabbath is a person. Jesus is your Sabbath. He is your rest. You have to be able to see this. No matter how mature we become as a believer, no matter how secure you think you are in your walk, no matter how strong you are in the Lord, you'll never move beyond the point where you are no longer vulnerable to your flesh or self-sufficiency. There will always be the threat of living after the flesh and not trusting Christ in you. It's always there. We always need the reminding. This is why Scripture warns us over and over, be on guard, be diligent, be vigilant. Wake up. Don't forget. Oh, but it's so much easier just to, just, oh, I'm so tired of that. No, don't lose hope. Be encouraged. Resting on the Sabbath. The Old Covenant Sabbath was a Saturday. It was a picture of a rest that was to come. It was prophetic. The New Covenant, the Sabbath, is Jesus. 
It's not Sundays. Sundays is not the Sabbath. Who made that up? We just happen to choose Sunday as a day to come together and worship. It's wonderful. We need rest. By the way, tremendous value of taking a day off a week. Super wise. As we've been taught, we are to rest. Rest from our works of self-sufficiency. The treadmill of trying to struggle and strive to get God to like you or stay right with him. In the new covenant, he works through us. So it is not our works, but his. Paul says, I labor by the power of Christ. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses. I don't see any small group support groups that talk about that. Here, I'm going to share my weaknesses with you. Yeah, oh, mine are worse than yours. Yeah, well, actually, you know what? There are groups like that. (laughs) The weakness is strength. Because if you're doing whatever you're trying to do out of self-sufficiency, out of your ego, there's going to be a problem. You will burn out. We're called to live from the oneness of Christ in us. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, the hardships, persecutions, troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. By the way, this has nothing to do with a flamboyant soapbox preacher who is absolutely annoying, has no love for people, but to shove verses down people's throats on a corner and then getting insulted by the people. They're saying, ah, it's the insults of Christ, Tommy. There we go. I'll keep it going. And they, they hail it as a big banner. Woo! Shut up and sit down then. I, uh, if you can't love people and see them as loved, then you have no business talking to them. Because then it's us versus them. And that's the problem in the church. Us versus them. As soon as you see yourself better as somebody else, you've just judged. And you have an ulterior motive every time. It's not authentic love. Do you hear it? Nehemiah's warning them, don't let the legalism in. Legalism is a system of living in which we attempt to gain God's blessing, or make spiritual progress based on what we do. It's all about trying, not trusting, to do things for Christ. It's works-driven, performance-based lifestyle. This does not mean we live a passive life, folks. The work of Christ in us is active. Paul was really busy, but he worked from, listen to this, from rest. Guard your gates. We work from rest, not to get rest. In Nehemiah 13, towards the end of the chapter, Nehemiah finds out that the people had been intermarrying with uh, the locals and so on, which is completely forbidden, so much so that uh, their children's children were speaking the language of the pagan culture and didn't even know the Israeli language anymore. They forgot the language of grace. They never knew it. 
Nehemiah was upset. Hey, stop it. Don't let legalism back in. Here's what it looks like. It's crept into the church here in the West easily. Listen to the language being spoken in most churches, and it sounds just like the language of the world. It goes like this. Do this, and you'll be a better Christian. Do this, and then you'll be right with God. Do this, then you'll be blessed. Pure performance-based. They're about achieving versus the grace of receiving. They're about trying harder self-effort instead of the grace message of trusting Christ's efforts through you. They say, you can do it, but they don't even know who you is versus living in absolute dependence, Christ can do it. If he's the one inspired the idea, it will succeed. They had forgotten they had totally forgotten. Second Peter 1, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you'll be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop, fail to develop, which means we're called to grow up, every one of us, in this way, uh, are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those who God has called and chosen. Does that sound like passivity? No. But any of that power, the strength of doing those things, comes from Christ in you. Yes, you might be physically tired, but he's the the energy, he's the, the will, he's the want. He's also the success of it. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do these things. <laughs> Philippians 1.6 And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. We're going back to Mexico on Thursday. And it was uh, about 60 years ago that a missionary came to this little village, El Limon, the one we're going to as a missions trip. And a little girl gave her heart to Christ in that meeting. It changed her life forever. That's where she first heard about Jesus. Later, she met Gerardo as he was in his drug addiction stupor and alcohol binging. She actually watched him die on the floor in a church. He overdosed so heavily. Gerardo, so the missions team, the ones that are going, you're going to hear the story. Plug your ear, Sarah. <laughs> she was there. She ended up marrying this guy. Discipled him. And then they bring the message of good news back to the village. So we're going back to this village. You know, we're, how is this bridge? Well, this is important. You've you, you got to get this. God began a good work 60 years ago, if not many, many, many more years before that. But through that one missionary, one person's life was changed. That missionary's work is still not complete. He might, he, he's dead. Earth suit dead. Okay? 
But his work that Christ began is not done. We're participating in that journey. Just like each of you, you may not know the impact you're having on someone's life. God started a work in you. His work. But I want a creative idea just for me. I want credit. Seriously. If he created the work and launched it in you, just trust him to be the God of outcomes. Okay? You don't have to worry about being the success. Surrender that. The need to be successful out of self-sufficiency. If it's going to be successful, he will make you successful his way and by his definition too. <laughs> what have we learned so far in this series? Last slide. God takes broken lives and rebuilds them. Nehemiah came to the city and the walls got rebuilt. Number two, he has you on a journey. All the gates we talked through and what each one, would, each one can represent in our stages of life. Number three, we celebrate what he has done. Nehemiah today was saying, celebrate, quit being sad. It's time to rejoice in the Lord and that joy will be your strength. Motivate you. And don't let legalism back in. In this way, you can keep walking the walk. Don't focus on legalism, but on Christ who will guide and direct your thoughts and steps. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, will you please be our rest experientially? I want to experience the rest in me. I want to experience the Sabbath. You are our Sabbath. Father, if there's anybody here who's striving out of their self-efforts, you just ever so gently, because you're good at that, be super gentle and show them how to surrender that. Be their surrender as they yield all the stress, struggles, future, worries, crises. They surrender to you and say, Father, I can't manage this. Will you manage this for me? Show me how I can participate. And may we never forget who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.